And I want to, before I get started, you can go ahead and turn to 3 John, okay? Go to 3 John, and I want to introduce the folks that are with me here, over here on my right. If my, my guys, if you'll stand real quick, if you will. Um, so right here is Brother Aaron, Ch- well, no, let me start on the end. This is Jason Alvarez. Jason graduated uh, back in 2010, I believe, from West Coast Baptist College. And God allowed Jason to become a, believe it or not, just a very influential businessman and uh, works in high levels in the corporate world. And God brought him to our church, and he is a, literally a full-time volunteer, gives his time and energy to our church in an amazing way. And I thank God for Jason. He married Kim Paez, who also is a graduate of West Coast, and she serves faithfully in our church. And then Aaron is uh, right next to him, Aaron Chan. Aaron Chan graduated in 2014. I have an honorary doctorate from Aaron Chan. It's amazing. When he graduated, they gave me an honorary doctorate, and it's the best degree I have. You know, all the other ones, man, I had to work hard for them. This one, I didn't have to work anything for it. It was great. And so they gave me an honorary doctorate in bringatology. Okay, so... But Aaron, Aaron came, uh, I, our church was falling apart. I really didn't have um, any, any, any ability to bring anybody to help me. And he was willing to step out and come. Just two days after I became the pastor, he said, I'm all in. And he has proven to be the most helpful uh, person that you could have ever imagined. And, and, and just a few years ago, he was sitting right here, right here. And now he's being majorly used by God in a powerful way at our church. Jeff Econom is a deacon at our church and just a great, great Christian. And I love him. He's become a very much a right-hand man. And then Brother Casimir Ramil is here. And uh, he is a Haitian national pastor. He has been pastoring in Haiti for 30 years. They have started 60 churches, 40 Christian schools. And last year when they brought their men together and had their national conference, and I was a part of that conference, they had, they had cataloged 17,000 people now that are a part of those churches. Let me give you a piece of advice. Go talk to him, okay? <laughs> Figure out. And you know what? Ten, uh, 30 years ago, he started his church. 20 years ago, after 10 years of starting churches, had no American support, none. Zero. And up to this day, only a handful of churches have been involved in his ministry, and he has built an enormous country-shaking work for God there. It's, a, it's amazing. If you want to go on a trip, let me know. You will be blown away, I promise. And you ought to get to know him. And we brought him here to the States to raise awareness and try to raise some support for him. And he's a wonderful man of God, somebody that I have grown to love and know, and it's a real joy to have you with us. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. And I'm going to have them come up here in just a little bit as a part of the illustration that I'll give you in just a moment. Third John. If you would, let's stand one more time. Sorry, I know how comfortable you get. And so I just thought I'd do that. I always enjoyed doing that when I was here, so I thought I'd do it again. Um, and uh, I'm, I, today, I, you know, I, I imagine I'll preach a bit, but I, I, I've got something on my heart. And I, I, I couldn't share with you everything that, that formulated this message. But I do know that it's been uh, about two or three months I knew I was going to preach this message in chapel. Never preached it before. Just I knew and then over the course of the last couple of months, things that have happened in my ministry and in my personal life, uh, this, it became amazing how God was using this study to prepare me for some of the things that were going to happen. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge your generation about something, okay? There, is ama- there are amazing things about people in their 20s and 30s and late teens. There's amazing things. There's innovation, there's creativity, there's, there's passion, there's outreach focus, there's a lot of awesome things. But whether you know it or not, there are some inherent weaknesses, some inherent weaknesses. 
And you don't want those weaknesses to cloud all the amazing things that you can do for the Lord in this generation. I'm going to point out one of them to you today. So yeah, this is going to be kind of negative, okay? But that's okay. Uh, I preached a positive sermon last Sunday at church. I got it out, okay? So I had to, I had to preach a negative one today. Uh, I want to read, actually, um, the first 10 verses of this book. Okay, there's only, only, only 14 in the entire book, but I want to read the first 10. And I want you to just follow with me. I want you to get the spirit of what John is saying. This is his third letter, second and third John, very similar. Second John is about negative entertainment of false teachers. Third John is primarily about positive reinforcement of uh, hosting God-fearing pastors that were traveling. It's basically a thank you letter. And there's a nugget in here that you need to see and learn. Verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but... Now, that was a word you didn't expect to hear, wasn't it? Everything was very positive. Everything was very encouraging. Everything was very cordial, friendly, very thank you related. And then all of a sudden, this conjunction just jumps out and says, I'm getting ready to change the subject. I sent you a letter already, but Diotrephes. Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. I want to speak to you uh, this morning on Leadership in the spotlight. Leadership in the spotlight. Let's pray. Could we? God, please, would you use the message? Help me as I communicate now. I pray that you will speak clearly to our hearts. And for these things, we will, we will give you the glory. For we know in advance that you will answer prayers according to your will. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I live in Florida. I've lived in California, of course, for about eight years here. And, uh, but I grew up in West Virginia, okay? In fact, I grew up in Dunbar, West Virginia. And Dunbar, West Virginia is exactly what you think it is. Not much, okay? And I grew up in a state where men are men and women are too. It's amazing the kind of culture that we have and the, the rednecks and the country people that we have. And I, I grew up, my, in fact, my, my first cell phone I ever had was I was a senior in college. It was a flip phone. It was, a, it was a, I think they called it a one-channel cell phone, meaning it didn't even, like, 
it, it was a sprint phone, so it wouldn't even pull off of other towers. So you had to be at a sprint tower, no roaming. And, and, and that was my first phone. I was a senior in college. Okay, I remember uh, my junior year of college when I got my first computer and I used AOL dial-up internet at my parents' house. I still remember. I remember the, I remember the noise. So when I was a kid, honestly, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of video games going on. It might be better for us if there weren't a whole lot of video games going on now. I mean, just saying, okay? But, but I remember, oh, that didn't go over real well. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Um, we didn't play a lot of video games. We didn't have a lot of video games. I do remember having Pac-Man on Atari. I remember that somewhere like around eighth grade, we started getting advanced. But I grew up, I grew up in a, in, 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 in a, in a valley called the Kanawha Valley in Dunbar, West Virginia. I grew up where literally the back, my backyard was the woods. That's what we called it in West Virginia. You might call that uh, the, the forest if you're really sophisticated. We called it the woods. Literally, you walk out my back, back door of my house and run around, play, play all kinds of games. And I had... I had um, uh, on either side of our home, there were, there were two families. So there was three houses in our little section, our big subdivision of three houses, okay? And we, we had, uh, each family had two boys. So there were six boys, and we were all the same age. So you can imagine, without video games and television and internet, the kind of stuff we got into was great, okay? We were okay to get our hands dirty and not use hand sanitizer. Somebody say amen right now. We're okay. We're okay. We survived. Nobody had hand sanitizer attached to their backpack. Okay. Nobody, there weren't, there weren't hand pump sanitizers in the back of every auditorium at church. Mom didn't freak out when we cut our knees or got dirt on our jeans. Dirt on our jeans. That, like... That actually happened. Do you know what jeans are? Okay, yeah. Dirt. Now, I'm not talking about $120 Lucky Brand jeans. I'm talking about like 15-cent Wrangler, dirty, nasty, you know, hand-me-down jeans. That's the kind of jeans we had. And, man, we, we, would, we would create activities, man. We, would, we, we were the kind that, you know, we, we loved the magnifying glass with the sun to burn the ants up. Come on now. Is there anything more exciting than that? That is amazing. I mean, that is a great game, okay? There wasn't even a purpose to the game except for we just loved it. And watching the ant fry was just, you know, one of life's greater joys. We would go catch crawdads. Those are really small lobsters, crayfish, whatever you want to call them. Crawdads is what we called them in West Virginia. And we, would, and we didn't have anything else to do. We had a neighbor down the street that uh, would buy them for 10 cents a piece, and he used them for fishing bait, so we would go and, and we'd catch them. And when we got tired of selling them for 10 cents a piece, we just decided basically to destroy them. And I'm sorry, if you're an animal rights person, you're going to have a real hard time with, with about 95% of what I say. But anyways, um, we would take them. We had a little street that went in front of our house. And we would, we, would take them, uh, we would take them and we would set them on the edge of the road. And we'd crawl back between where our cars were parked. And we'd take little pebbles and throw them at them and try to bump them. And they'd, they'd, they'd start crawling across the street. And the cars would come by and just kaboom, just smash them. And, and, it, and if one ever made it across, we had a little game going on. So if, if your crawdad made it across, you know, you got, you know, whatever. You got, a, you, know, you got to trade up for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich from a tuna sandwich or whatever, whatever we did. We, we had a great time. One of my favorite games to play as a child in that environment was called Spotlight. Has anybody, has anybody ever played Spotlight? Does anybody, anybody? That's exactly what I figured. Yeah, nobody. Okay, so, boy, I'm going to have a hard time here. Y'all just pray with me that I can process this illustration appropriately. But um, we used to play outside. <laughs> so, so, you know, we weren't inside, and, and there wasn't a screen, 
Okay, so just try to follow me here. There, I, there wasn't a screen, and we were outside, and there was stuff called grass. Okay, grass. And underneath of that was dirt. It's brown. Most of you try to avoid it at any cost, okay? And then there were things called trees. Now, I know here you don't know what those are, but, but they're big and tall and green, okay? They're called trees. And then we had a bunch of them. We had a bunch of them. And we had things like rocks also, rocks. And we would, and, and Spotlight was a variation of hide-and-go-seek, okay? A variation of hide-and-go-seek. Hide-and-go-seek, somebody was what? It, right? You're it, and all your friends go hide. You count to 10, ready or not, here I come. And you go, and you got to track down your friend. You got to tag your friend. And then they become it, and then you start the whole thing again. How many of you have at least played hide-and-go-seek? Oh, good. Oh, good. That is great. Spotlight is a evening time variation of uh, hide-and-go-seek. So instead of chasing your friends and tagging them, the, the person who is it got a flashlight and you would hide in the dark. And the way that the it person tagged somebody else was putting the spotlight on them long enough that they could identify them. So, it, so if I was it, okay, and I, and I was out looking for somebody and I, I, I put a spotlight on them, I would have to have the spotlight on them long enough and clear enough that I could say this phrase, spotlight on Joe. When I said spotlight on Joe, then he knew I got him, I saw him, and that was, that was a spotlight. It, it honestly, it was, a, it was a really cool game. It appears, unfortunately, that many preachers and aspiring ministry leaders are also playing a game of spotlight. Unfortunately for them, they're not trying to avoid the spotlight. They're trying to get in to the spotlight. They want to, the spotlight to shine on their faces so that they can become it. The important people, the leaders that have people that follow them on social media and, or to be attached to something that's big in their mind. You know, one of the things I think is amazing about leadership, you said in a building like this, and I, I've always been mesmerized by this place, but I think sometimes we very easily and quickly forget that while we sat in this amazing auditorium and we sat in these amazing pews, this was not the origin of this place at all. Uh, in fact, I'm not aware of anybody that's ever had a great and significant word, uh, work for God that started by seeking status, that started by looking for something big that was already there. Their mind was not a vision to be something important. Their mind was a vision to do something great. And by doing something great, oftentimes that meant going out where there was nothing or maybe there was a small handful of people. But today, I think we find a different story. Today, we find that, that a lot of young people, a lot of younger preachers, a lot of younger leaders seem to be always attracted to the next bigger and best thing, whether it's that they're trying to attach themselves to it or whether they're trying to pick up on something to make that same thing happen. What can happen is a young person, if you're not careful, in a desire to do something great for God, which is a very subtle difference here, you can almost create this spirit of desiring preeminence. And when you desire preeminence, that becomes actually dangerous. There is an incredibly damaging, dividing, and devilish attitude among many young people 
and preachers and Christians today, I want to urge you for a few moments, if I could, if I, if I could kind of take you to a ministry philosophy workshop for just a minute, I would implore you to not go out and seek preeminence, but to go out and seek a place of service where you can literally make a giant difference for Jesus Christ. Fundamentally, people who seek preeminence in ministry are actually dangerous to the ministry. Now that is illustrated in our story today by a guy named Diotrephes. Diotrephes is a man who's only mentioned this one time in the Bible. He's only really discussed in a couple of verses. But very evidently his ministry was, was pronounced by an opportunity to try to seek to destroy and tear down already existing leadership by pushing himself forward and tearing them down. Folks, i got to tell you, when you look at ministry philosophy in the Bible, ministry philosophy is about serving. Ministry philosophy is about others. Ministry philosophy is not about jockeying for position to try to find a more substantial place of service. It's not about getting on staff at a big church. It's not about uh, having a big following on social media. It is about spending your life serving God for who God is and helping others for where they are. And whether anybody knows you or not, you're quite content that Jesus knows you and you're doing it for him in the first place. Amen? So I want to share with you from the life of Diotrephes a few dangers that I see here in a man who seeks the preeminence. Number one, and definitely the most dangerous, is this. That loving the preeminence eclipses Jesus. Loving the preeminence eclipses Jesus. In verse number 10, it says, or verse number 9, it says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, watch this phrase now, who loveth the to have the preeminence among them receiveth us not. The, the very first and obvious thing that jumps out me at this verse is simply this. Preeminence is never something that is to be loved and sought after by a pastor. Very obviously, this is a, a display of human pride. A display to be important. A display of a man who has a desire to be well-known. Being prominent, a desire to be prominent is actually a part of the curse that I believe came in the sinfulness of humanity. In fact, I believe it was C.S. Lewis that said, pride is what made the devil the devil. What was it about the devil that he wanted? He wanted to be like God. He wasn't content to be where he was. He wasn't content to have the role that he had. There's a lot of Bible students that have tried to discuss who was Diotrephes and why did he do this. And I think there's a little clue in the meaning of his name. Diotrephes literally means Zeus reared. Zeus reared. Zeus being uh, a god in the Greek mythology. Zeus reared a child or a nursling of Zeus. Uh, somebody who grew up as, as potentially somebody that was being reared for greatness. Some people believe that Diotrephes got saved out of an of a, out of a aristocratic background. That maybe his family was important. That maybe his, his family had means. Or maybe they were even substantial in some kind of government. And I believe there you maybe see what happened with, with, with Diotrephes. Maybe he was so used to being somebody. Maybe he was so used to being something. Maybe he was so used to mattered and being needed that it spilled over into his ministry or lack thereof, I should say. He loved to have the preeminence. He desired to be important. He desired to have a position. And anybody that threatened that position, he quickly and, and, and ferociously tried to fight them off. Now the actual issue at hand is this. Gaius was a man who hosted traveling preachers. 
This is a side note, but I believe this is one of the evidences of the early ministry of evangelists in the New Testament. Here, people were traveling not to start churches, but to visit churches. Here was a traveling man, men, who had gone to already established churches, and people within those churches were hosting them while they ministered there. So it was evident that there were itinerant preachers in the New Testament, okay? And now they had come back to their home pastor, Gaius, and they had reported that Gaius had taken care of them, that he had been hospitable to them. And then we turn to, to Diotrephes, and the Bible says that, that he, look at verse number, uh, at the end of verse number 10, it says he did not himself, watch this, he did not receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. So in a contrast to Gaius, Diotrephes was a man who wanted to be important, watch this now, follow me now, he wanted to be important to such a degree, watch it, that he would not dirty his hands and stoop to a low level to serve a preacher that was visiting him in his town. And I believe there's probably two reasons for that. Number one, I believe that every person that has a superiority complex, every person that wants to be prominent, every person that wants to be important is challenged and is threatened by anybody else that can gain a following besides him. So these guest preachers actually, he he ran a risk that people would like them more than him. Does it bother you when somebody else gets a job or gets a position or gets recognized and you didn't? The fact of the matter is that's part of our human nature. But let me assure you of something. If you carry that spirit in the ministry, you are going to be a disappointed person. Because if you find your security and you find your identity in being liked by people and being followed by people and being more important than people, of people sharing your stuff on the internet, of people downloading your sermons, and that is where you get your thrill, that is where you get your high, then you're going to feel threatened by anybody else that has ministry success. And I want to tell you, that is a dangerous place to be. Don't try to build your kingdom. Seek to build the kingdom. But I think the second reason why he resisted these traveling preachers is frankly this. Because in order to host guest speakers or guest preachers, in order to accommodate guests, there is a need for selfless sacrifice and preparation to take care of those people. I think Diotrephes' attitude was, I'm too important to do this. I'm too important to pick up a phone and book a hotel for a guest preacher. I'm too important to clean up the room and make the space necessary. I'm too important to arrange the meal or cook the meal myself. And I just want to say this to you, friend. If you are a preeminent seeker, you will find ministry responsibilities that are way below you. And listen, if there are ministry uh, uh, responsibilities that are below you, listen, there are heights of ministry that will be unattainable to you. Let me tell you something, friend. When I went to my church, there wasn't one thing about my church that you'd want to come to. It's still ugly. In fact, There are people that have lived in our neighborhood for 20, 30 years and don't even know our church is a church. It's ugly. It's green. I have a green church. It's green. I said it's green. Do you have a green church? No. No, you don't. You don't have a green church. You probably don't have a green shirt unless you're weird, okay? Uh, you, 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 You don't have, nobody has a green church. You know, my big metropolis that I went to is 1.5 acres. My upscale gated neighborhood is gated for safety, (laughs) not because of exclusivity. We had trunk or treat this year for the first time, and you want to know what ended trunk or treat? Gunshots. I'm serious. 
We sat safely on the corner of Drive-By Avenue and Kevlar Street. In downtown Jacksonville, our neighbors are HUD housing uh, occupants. Literally, there's a plasma donation center across the street. And down one block down the street is a crack house. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, they go to the plasma donation center. At 6.30 in the morning, they take the money they got from donating plasma. And they walk down to the crack house that literally is a half mile from my church. Sound attractive to you? I have 50 parking spaces. 50. Yeah, five zero, not 250, 50. They say that the average church can expect three bodies per parking space. Meaning, if we had 150 people, we would be completely stuffed and maxed. But at Friend Day, about three weeks ago, we had just over 400 people and about 300 on Sunday morning alone. And can you imagine what kind of traffic jams we had there? Amazing. There was all kinds of issues and problems in the leadership. There was all kinds of divisions and financial problems that were going on in the church. Listen very carefully. Prominent seekers don't go after churches like that. Prominent seekers don't look for opportunities that they can be a part of and do something with. They look for opportunities that they can create. They look at stuff that's already created for them. And by the way, this is not a new thing. This is not a a current thing. This is a timeless thing. I mean, think back to Mark this, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 24. The the Bible says that that the, the mother of the Zebedee's children came to her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said unto her, what wilt thou? She said unto him, grant that these two my sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Is this amazing or what? Do you know who the sons of Zebedee were? They were James and John. Do you know who James and John were? They were two of the 12 apostles. Not only that, they were two of the three inner circle apostles, James, Peter, and John. This is amazing, is it not? They weren't content that about all the people in the world, Jesus chose them among the 12. And not only that, Jesus chose them among the three. But they weren't content to even be in the three. They had to be number one and number two. And they come to Jesus, and obviously mom is, uh, mom is enabling this. Mom and uh, them are having these conversations, and now she's bold enough to present it to Jesus. You know what Jesus' response is? You can't drink the cup that you would need to drink to sit on my right hand. And my left hand, you're not prepared for the work, for the sweat, for the cross, for the agony that it costs to do a work for Jesus Christ. You young people, listen to me very carefully. I want to help you as much as I can. You want to do something for great for God? Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen to you. You try to go out, start a church. You try to go out, renovate a church. You try to go out and build something big for God. And let me tell you exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to suffer for it. You're not going to get your cozy little office and everybody's just going to love you and everybody's just going to clap their hands and glad they're here. Listen, i got to tell you, I've always appreciated the reception that I've got here. But I will tell you, in the last 18 months, I have never been spoken to more unkindly in my life. I have never been backstabbed more in my life than the last 18 months. 
I have never been mistreated more in my entire life, either before salvation or after salvation, than I have been in the last 18 months. And I'm just trying to be real with you today. You can go out and you can look for the shiny office, you look for preeminence, and you can look for somebody who want to invite you to preach, or you be some big deal youth conference speaker, or whatever the case may be. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you really want to be there, if you really want to see God do something, if you really want to take over a town and do something big for God, you better bet that while you are standing to minister unto the Lord, Satan is going to be at your right hand seeking to resist you. And he will use people. He will use trials. He will use health. He will use trouble. He will use finances. He will do anything he can do to knock you out. That's what real ministry is. And I'm telling you, I know how this goes. You guys, you guys surrender to preach at conferences. You, you come to a big thing like this. And, and in our mind, if we're not careful, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. Hey, don't look to be big. Look to be used by God. The second thing I want to say very obviously about this is preeminence is something reserved for our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, there's only two times the word preeminence is used in the Bible. One is here, sought by a man. One is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, given to our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is the beginning, uh, the, uh, uh, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, whether they be principalities or powers, all things were made by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the firstborn from the dead. Hey, watch it. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Here's the bottom line, young person. Uh, there's only two instances of preeminence in the Bible. One was given to man and one was given to Jesus. And guess what? Both cannot happen simultaneously. Let me just serve notice to you that there will never be such a song sung in heaven, How Great I Am. But I think you'll hear while the ages roll, How great thou art. The truth is, you're not great, and I'm not great. But he is great. And he is worthy. And there's only one person that should be preeminent in your pulpit, in your social media. There's only one person that should be preeminent in the style of ministry that you choose and the place that you go. And that is Jesus Christ. So number one, uh, loving the preeminence eclipses Jesus Christ. Number two, loving the preeminence divides the church. Divides the church. Look, if you will, at verse number 10. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth out of the church. Do you see the division and and the problems that he brought into the church? I read a story recently of Dr. A.T. Robertson, a great teacher of preaching and, and Greek years ago. He wrote an article for a Southern Baptist magazine way back in the day, and he described in the magazine the conduct of Diotrephes without sharing the name of Diotrephes. And after he wrote that article, there were 25 Baptist deacons and and more than 25 Baptist churches that wrote the editor and canceled their subscription to the magazine because they believed that Mr. Robinson was writing about them. He wasn't writing about them. But actually he was. 
Now, for just a few moments, I'm going to give you what he did to destroy and divide a church. I'm going to ask you if you see this tendency in you. And if you do, don't cancel your subscription to the truth. Allow the truth to sink in for just a minute and warn you that if you have a diatrophy spirit, you better get it to the altar and run as fast away from it as you can run. The first thing that diatrophies do is they, 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 they destroy churches through slanderous words. Notice the wording here in verse number 10. It says, he prates against us with malicious words. Slanderous, evil, hurtful, painful, dividing words. And folks, I got to tell you, the Bible speaks very fluidly and frequently on this subject. Titus chapter 3, verse 2, to speak evil of no man. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28, a froward man soweth strife and a whisperer separateth cheap friends. Chief friends, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Psalms 101, verse 5, whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. In fact, one writer called Diotrephes, listen to this, a godless troublemaker. And if you are a troublemaker, you are godless. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you're living without God at the epicenter of what you're doing. Now, young person, if ever there is a place for you to create a culture of negative, critical, malicious speaking toward ministry leaders, it is right here. May I assure you that unless you have sat in the seat of leadership, be very careful of how critical you are of how people do things they do in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be very careful to say things like this while you're in college. When I do this, I won't do it like that. The truth of the matter is, there's a lot of reasons why this place is what it is. There's a lot of reasons why great pastors have great churches. And there's a lot of reasons why young people never do. Because they become critical and suspicious of things that are working, critical and suspicious of things that they do not understand. They can create a divisive spirit inside of them right here and right now that says, hey, listen, uh, I'm in this young generation and we are throwing off and casting off everything that those before us have done and said and how they have led. Be very, very careful. It's easy to be a ministry armchair quarterback. You know, it cracks me up. People say stuff like this. Tom Brady stinks. Really? Tom Brady stinks? Is that your statement? Like, I'm not even a Tom Brady fan, but are you... Look, check the clue box, homeboy. What are you talking about? What has he won, four Super Bowls? Five? He may be the greatest quarterback that ever lived, and so he dropped a pass in a Super Bowl, and now you say he stinks? Dude, you couldn't hit a truck from 10 feet away with a football. (laughs) You're like, no, man, look, it ain't like that at all, man. And before I came to West, I I can't believe they cut me from the basketball team. Man, I was a superstar. And my your Christian school has 15 kids in it. Two of them are blind, okay? So... (laughs) So you got to start on your basketball team in high school. I get it. But look, hey, just hold up there, Michael Jordan. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, man, that pastor, that preacher, he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, really? Oh, because you won a high school sermon contest. 
that your pastor helped you write. (laughs) And that you practiced 17 times and edited 45 times. And all of a sudden you're the pro? Nah, buddy, you're not the pro. Set at the feet of people who can help you. Do not sit in the critical seat of judgment. Malicious words. The second thing he did was he, he, he fought the church through selfish actions. Diotrephes here displays an arrogant and abusive matter, a manner of handling other leaders. He was an insecure man. He attempted to eliminate anybody from him that posed a threat of, of his following. So these preachers come in and he not only resisted them, but anybody who welcomed them, he resisted them too. In fact, he threw them out of the church. He had to be first. He had to be important. And if anybody had a difference of opinion with him, if anybody threatened him at all, he simply worked selfishly against them and tried to destroy them. And I got to tell you, folks, there are ministry people out there that do this all the time. I want to hasten quickly to go to the last point because I really want to make an emphasis here and I'm almost done. But the third thing I want you to see that, 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 that John points out here is loving the preeminence must be avoided at all costs. Look at verse number 12 or 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. There's the admonition. Get away from it. Stop it. Avoid it. And he does this in two ways. First of all, he says you need to recognize ungodly leaders. And he uses diatrophies as the example. And then he also does it, number two, by saying you should be following godly examples. Gaius was an illustration of hospitality. Gaius was an example to the church of what it means to serve others. And then he talks about Demetrius at the end here. And Demetrius was an example of having a godly testimony. Young person, listen to me. Don't look for somebody in the spotlight. Look for somebody who's serving God. Look for somebody who's got their sleeves rolled up and dirty, uh, their hands dirty in the work of the Lord. Look for somebody who's got a God-fearing testimony. Look at somebody that prays. Look at somebody that loves people. Look at somebody who has a heart for God. Don't look for somebody who's got a big Twitter following. Follow godliness. And I wanted to end the message today by giving you a living example of some of this right now. I want Jason, I want Jason and, and I, want, uh, I want all my guys to come. You guys come up here real quick. The Lord just worked it out for us to come together. But I, I, wanted, I, do, I, wanted just, I want to show you something because in my opinion, these guys have illustrated this to me in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. I want to start with just the order. Jason, Jason graduated West Coast in 2010. Nine, ten, nine, eight, ten, nine, nine, two thousand nine. And Jason is an executive. Okay. Jason moved his family to Orlando, Florida, a couple years ago, and didn't even know that I was in Jacksonville. He came up actually accidentally. I had a guest speaker that invited him to come. He showed up two hours away, drove two hours to my church, found out I was the pastor, and he said, "Pastor, I'm telling you, I know why God brought me to Florida." To help you in this church. And at that time, probably on that Sunday night that he came, there was probably about 15 people at our church. Do you know that for three months, this guy drove from Orlando to Jacksonville. Every Saturday morning, he would leave his house at 6 o'clock in the morning to be at our church for soul winning. And then he would stay Saturday night. And he would serve all day Sunday for three months. And then Sunday night, he would drive back to Orlando. And then just recently bought a house in Jacksonville. And will not allow me to compensate him anything for his ministry work for us. 
Take a bite of that. Then there's Aaron. I called Aaron the day after I became the pastor. I said, Aaron, I need you, man. My piano player couldn't even play flats. I don't even know what that means, but that's not good, I think. Aaron traveled with me for three years on tour. He's a fantastic piano player. Aaron, I said, Aaron, look, man, the only way I can get you here is, is we need a third grade, third grade through fifth grade uh, school monitor in, in, a, in basically an ACE school. Sound good? And some of you would have checked out right there because you're too big for that. In fact, not only did he do that, but then when it all came down, we didn't even need him. <laughs> we didn't even need him. Because the school wasn't what they said it was. And it was already overstaffed. And Aaron shows up and I didn't have any money for him. So by faith we slid him over to the church. About six weeks after he came. And has done nothing. But faithfully serve in whatever capacity he was needed. It's embarrassing what he came for financially. And since then we've been able to compensate him and raise him and help him to try to get to a more functionable salary. I thank God for his loyalty, even though probably what he came to wasn't as glamorous as some of you might be looking for. Brother Jeff came back to our church. He, he left our church uh, during the split, which happened long before I came. And, and uh, Brother Jeff was a deacon for years at our church and, and, and heard what had happened and heard that the story of the people getting saved and baptized. He called me one day and said, he said, Preacher, look, I left there a number of years ago, but, uh, but I, really, I, I really think God might want me to come back. Would you be okay if I come back? I said, yes, please, anybody, please come back, help me. Here, you know what? Within just a couple of weeks, he took a bus route. And he took that bus route from about 10 or 15 kids, and they'll have 50, 60 kids coming on that bus. And you know what he told me? He's a deacon now, but you know what he told me when he first came? He sat down with me and said this, Preacher, I want you to know that I'm going to serve like a deacon, whether or not you ever call me one. And he did. And now he is one. Because you serve before you get a position. And then this preacher right here, 30 years ago when he was 26 years old, started a church from nothing. That church turned into 60 churches. The first time I went to Haiti, I slept in the nicest room in his house. When I woke up the next morning, one of our other men came down to breakfast and said, Pastor, I, I was sleeping on the roof last night. I just kind of wanted to. He said, about 20 minutes, after, 20 minutes after I showed up and started laying down on the roof of the house, he said, I heard the ladder. He said, two people came to the top of the roof and laid down on cardboard. He said, it was preacher and his wife. And you know what I was sleeping in? Their bed. I begged him. begged him the next day to let me sleep on the roof because I felt like a slab of cardboard. And he refused because he's a servant. You want to be great? Be a servant. You want to be first? Be last. You want to do something big? Get small. You want to make a difference? Roll up your sleeves. 
Don't ask for a handout. Don't be a welfare preacher boy. Get out and do something for God. Don't expect everybody else to do it for you. Be willing to go. Be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to sweat. Be willing to cry. Be willing to be walked all over for the kingdom of God. 